you come from here? Yes, never been away. Don't really want to. I went to Paris once. Did you like it? No. Why not? Don't know. I've come from Paris. Roland made no reply. Anne couldn't think what to say to him. It seemed rude not to make conversation, but she didn't want to distract him. Do you often drive this van? No, I drive it just as much as anyone else, but petrol, you know. Is the boss very mean? No, it's Madame. He couldn't care less. Madame his wife? No, Madame Bouin, the manageress, the cow. She thinks we should only go to the market once a week and load up. You know, the big market down the road. The rest of the time we have to get the stuff from here. She sends us on foot. If you only go to the big market once a week, doesn't the food get stale? Roland's nose emitted a snort. Makes no difference to Bruno. It all tastes like pig shit, what he does with it. They negotiated the perimeter of another square, with the town hall, the curious building beneath a black slate roof in the grand 18th century manor, in one corner. They drove on in silence down a street called the Rue des Écoles, swung sharply left, and found themselves face to face with the Hôtel du Lion d'Or. I hadn't realised it was so near I could have walked, said Anne. Easily, Roland agreed. It was the old man, apparently, the patron. Said I should come. I was playing cards. I I'm sorry, I... But Roland had gone. Anne breathed in deeply. The hotel was secluded from the square by a courtyard and a grey wall with a pair of rusting iron gates. Anne heaved her cases up to the front doors, through whose glass panels she could make out a broad lobby, leading up to a staircase in the crook of which was the concierge's desk. She was aware of a woman behind it watching her as the suitcases dripped gently onto the parquet floor. She put them down on a threadbare mat in front of the counter. Mademoiselle? It was the woman behind the desk who spoke, her voice not so much interrogative as menacing. Madame Bouin, Anne supposed. Her eyes had a calm quality, despite the fact that one of them was monstrously enlarged by the thick lens of her spectacles. Her bearing managed to combine world weariness with a feline state of readiness. I've come to take the waitress job. Then why have you come through the front door? I understood from Monsieur the Patron that you had a previous experience of hotel work. Is this what you were told is normal? I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know the way in. The young man who brought me, Roland, he... Anne checked herself, fearing to bring Madame Bouin's displeasure onto Roland. Where did he go? I, I'm not sure. It, it was kind of him to pick me up on a night like this. Madame Bouin took a card from among a sheaf of papers. Details, insurance and so on, she said. Do I have to do it now? The woman said nothing, but swivelled on her chair and took the handset from a telephone switchboard which she cranked vigorously by hand. She spoke fast and indistinctly. Anne noticed a pile of needlework on the table beneath the board from which hung the numbered bedroom keys. She took the forms and a pen from the desk. Surname, Louvi. She had grown used to this lie. Four names, Anne-Marie-Thérèse. These, at least, and the date of her birth, she could give truthfully. Her handwriting was determined and precise. By the space for previous place of employment, she put the name of a café near the Gare Montparnasse. Next of kin, she wrote down the name of Louvet, her assumed father, blurring with skilled certainty, though not without a qualm, the lines of her identity. She handed back the completed card. 
When will I meet Monsieur the Patron? How should I know? Monsieur the Patron is an extremely busy man. You'd better follow me. Madame Bouin stood up and circled the counter. She was much taller than Anne had expected. Her grey dress was inflated by a large bosom on which rested a gold chain and a handful of keys. She walked with an agile, bustling movement, pulling a black cardigan about her shoulders. You may use the front stairs tonight. At all other times, you will use the back stairs. Anne watched the black-stockinged legs in their plain black shoes briskly mounting the main sweep of the staircase and turning up another narrower set of stairs, then down a corridor lined with wardrobes. And out onto a landing with a bare wooden floor. Madame Bouin indicated a further twisting and carpetless flight of stairs. Your room is at the top. There is a staff bathroom at the end of this passage on the left, though you must ask if you wish to take a bath. Staff are not expected to bathe more than twice a week. You will find a jug and bowl in your room, which are adequate for daily washing. You will be required in the kitchen at six thirty tomorrow morning. The bedroom Anne had been allotted was under the eaves. And its single window overlooked a backyard where she could see only filmy rain tumbling into the dark. There was an iron bedstead, a plain wooden chair, a small writing table, and a chest of drawers with, as Madame Bouin had promised, a jug and bowl. A curtain in the corner concealed a hanging area for clothes, which contained a black uniform. The rafters that slanted diagonally from above the window gave a secure rather than imprisoning feeling. The agonized Christ above the bed could be moved somewhere he would be less visibly tormented. The bed linen, though thinning, was clean. The bare floorboard had been scrubbed, and above the writing table hung a picture of a medieval knight. Everything Anne owned was in her two suitcases. Her favorite possession, a second-hand gramophone with a sonorous horn attachment, she had had to sell, since it was too heavy to carry. The records themselves she had been unable to part with. Half a dozen heavy black plates in brown paper covers, which she stowed in the bottom drawer of the chest. Apart from Roland, Madame Bouin, and the patron, she had no idea who else the staff might comprise, but she hoped there would be someone who would be a friend for her, a girl of her own age, perhaps, with a big family in the town where she would be taken at weekends. When alone, Anne constructed fantasies of a kind in which the events were all conceivable. But in which the crucial element of luck ran well for her. She didn't want to live in a grand manor with cavernous rooms, but in one of those simple houses behind gates, where children could be seen playing on the sandy paths, and a dog padded silently across the grass. If once she saw such a place, her fantasy was unstoppable, and she would bear its inner rooms to her scanning eye, and reshape, recolor, and repeople them, until they contained what she wanted. With her clothes unpacked, she arranged her half-dozen books along the top of the writing table and propped her picture, a view of Paris roofs layered and rain-swept, on the chest of drawers. Next to the books, she placed a photograph of her mother. She wore a formal, posed expression which did not quite conceal a look of timid puzzlement. The rain had stopped when Anne pushed her door open and listened. She could hear the sound of crockery distantly, but otherwise nothing. Most people, she guessed, would now be in bed, so it was too late to ask Madame Bouin whether it was permissible to have a bath. She took her dressing gown and went quietly down the twisting staircase and along the corridor to the bathroom. She went in and locked the door. A simple action, which caused an eruption of furtive activity backstairs.
Roland's scabrous face was boiling with a mixture of anguish and excitement as he tiptoed down the corridor. The room next to the servants' bathroom was a linen store, and it had been Roland's aim, planned over many months, to steal the key from Madame Bouin's bunch, copy it and return the original before she should notice. This operation had not been without problems, and the copied key didn't fit very well, but it did turn the lock into the little windowless box, whose slatted shelves were heated by the long pipes that ran down the wall. Roland breathed heavily, smelling timber and mothballs, as he lifted the linen from one of the shelves. High on the other side in the bathroom he had removed a tile, and twice a week on bath nights he had worked away at the plaster, taking away the debris in his wash-bag at the end of the operation. Once the connection was made, he had concealed the hole in the linen closet with old curtains he knew were unlikely to be required. He ended up standing on one leg on the support of a lower shelf, craning diagonally upwards and drawing the rogue tile through to the linen room on a piece of string. The reward for his hard work had been the sight of Sophie, Anne's predecessor, taking her twice-weekly bath. She was a sturdy girl from Lyon, and although the steam sometimes made it hard for him to see clearly, he never missed an opportunity. Now, in his hurry, he pulled the tile through with more than the usual noise. He waited for a moment, holding his breath, listening for a sound of protest from the bathroom. He heard nothing, and jammed his bursting face against the opening. Through the frustrating steam that rose from the bath, he watched the girl lean forward to turn on more water, and he saw the fall of her breasts, a movement of surprising weight given the slightness of her frame. Then she raised her knee, and he could make out the line that...